0: Have you ever stopped to think about uh, how the centerpiece of Thanksgiving is not so much the food as much as it is the table? I mean, we really shouldn't be surprised because when you look at the ministry of Jesus, at the epicenter of his kingdom strategy was this table fellowship. It's really what ultimately got him into trouble uh, with the religious elite. He said, you know what? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which basically is, uh, if you want to know how God thinks, how God acts, who God's going to hang around with, then watch me. And here he is sitting with prostitutes and tax collectors, people literally they called uh, people of the land. And it caused these religious elite to have a major theological nosebleed because there's no way that God could see these people as having honor and having worth And yet Jesus took that and turned it completely upside down And he said, let the little ones come unto me And he reached into the gutters, he reached over the edge and into the margins And he sat around the table and fellowshiped with them And brought them honor and brought them worth At the center of his kingdom strategy It wasn't the menu, it was the guest list You know, this Thanksgiving may be just a little bit leaner than last Thanksgiving. You know, maybe you'll experience and feel some uh, anxiety and some worry about the external circumstances, uh, not just in the country, but in the world. But maybe that's a blessing in disguise. Maybe this Thanksgiving... Uh, can really be an opportunity for for you, for your family, for your church, for all of us um, to move from focusing upon just the provisions of God and focusing upon the presence of God to move from focusing upon um, the menu (laughs) to focusing upon the guest list. You know, what would Thanksgiving be like if you reimagined it? What would your Thanksgiving look like if you or your family, your church, um, were to uh, to set a couple of extra chairs up for individuals that were just lonely? And, and touch the lives of individuals um, that maybe didn't have any market value, didn't have any honor. Well, lonely people, people who have no one else. You know, in our country today, some 35 to 40 percent of elderly actually live by themselves. They have no one else. And you see Jesus on a regular basis, uh, reaching to people who were alone, uh, the woman at the well, Zacchaeus, and inviting them even to something as simple as just uh, uh, to share water with. What would it look like if you started off with uh, a menu as simple as bread? and wine, and remembered uh, that incredible presence of Christ and God in our lives. This Thanksgiving may have a little anxiety, it may have a little worry, but what would it look like if your Thanksgiving was uh, was driven by love and graciousness, and not anxiety and worry and fear? What would your Thanksgiving look like if you were to focus upon the guest list uh, and not the menu?
1: open table. The open table is the, the sign, the mark that says our creator is here. In the first century A.D., the followers of Jesus said it this way, the kingdom of God is at hand. In the 10th century B.C., the ancient king of Israel King David said it this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now listen to this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The shepherd in the spring of the year, when the, when the snows in the upper heights, the altitude would begin to, to melt, and that lush green pasture land would begin to grow, would take his sheep and lead them up to the tableland, the mesa. And before the sheep would arrive, the shepherd would go, and he would, he would spy out that, that pasture land, and he would go through very meticulously removing any poisonous weeds. Any plant, there would be danger to his sheep. He would find the predators in the area and either kill them or push them out. And then and only then would he bring his sheep and they would come in and they would find green pasture. See, sheep do not lay down and rest unless they are totally secure, unless the shepherd is near them, unless they are full, and unless they feel entirely secure. And there at that pasture land... Their lives would be restored. The pasture land is marked by an intimacy with the shepherd. It is marked by a security from all predators. It is marked by a full sufficiency, a contentment. It is marked by a restoration. It is always what the open table provides. I want to propose to you today that the open table is the mark of a mature community of faith. Not just Thanksgiving, and I hope you do what we've encouraged you by this video this morning to do, to invite others. Not just Thanksgiving and not only special events, but it also gives a positive answer to the question that we asked last week. Is this thing that we're doing, is it sustainable? Are we able to strip away all the things that that push aside other people? Are we able to, to, to strip away from our lives everything that repels others or keeps them from being involved at the table that marginalizes them? You see, tied to this table are also these words. Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then he says this, and just read that with me. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. He said, so there's this goodness, and so what is good? So turn to the person next to you and just tell them, hey, this is good. Tell them, not, don't repeat those words. You tell them what is good, okay? So just turn to them and say, hey, this is good, and tell them what it is. Ready? Just tell them something that's good. Go ahead. Tell them something's good. What is it? Okay, so, somebody over here, tell me, what did you say was good? Roast and mashed potatoes. potatoes. Is that what you're having today? Barb's house, everybody. Roast and mashed potatoes, that's good. What else? What's good? Turkey. You people are all hungry. Jesus Jesus is Lord. Somebody should say the Browns winning today. Oh. There's doubt in the house. What else is good? Down here, what's good? Jesus Jesus is good? See, we have the spiritual people over here and the hungry people over here is, is what we've got cooking. See, that word good in its broadest meaning means that which is plenteous, that which is joyous. Good is joyous. That which is harmonious, that which has plenty with it that which is laughter attached to it, that is good. He says, not only goodness, but he also says, some of your translations say mercy, this one said love. And it simply means, surely goodness and kindness or immense favor. So Pam and I were at some friend's house a couple weeks ago and they're younger than we are and so they were talking about their their courtship how they how they got together and and how they dated and how they fell in love and and she was really really in love with him and he was in love with her but they got to that state where where she wanted to get married and he hadn't quite asked her yet and and they both knew it was heading that way but he was just he's not quite there and and so they had this opportunity to go down and visit some friends that live outside the United States in a place that is known for its warmth and its beaches. And so she and, and he were going to go, but then he said he couldn't go, and it just bummed her out. But they were close friends, so she went anyhow. So he drove her up to the Buffalo Airport and put her on a plane, and, and it was just in that moment when she really wanted him to, to propose, and, and they, she wanted to know her future was intact, and she's sure this is the guy, and... And so then, but now she's got to go to this place, this beautiful romantic place all by herself. The friends are going to be there, but he's not going to be there. And it's just, it's just not right. And so she gets there and she's just, she's just unburdening her heart that she just misses him and wish he was here. And will he actually ask her someday to marry, get married? And it's just, it's, well, what she didn't know was a couple hours after he put her on a plane, he got on a plane. Oh, he didn't go there. Yes, he did. He, he went there. <laughs> you are such romantics, I tell you. So he gets, he gets on this plane and she doesn't know. So the next morning, she and her friend are walking toward the beach. And they get up close to the beach and there on a park bench, there is this silhouette that looks familiar. And suddenly, suddenly it dawns on her... <gasps> Do I dare believe? Can it be? And yes, it is. And so she runs to him, and the the friend kind of backs off. The other friend, the, the husband, is, is actually videoing this process. And she gets to the bench and he pulls out a ring. Yeah, you people. <laughs> and they get engaged. Now, you know what that is? That is, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, because the word follow actually means chase after. To hunt down, to pursue. On a Monday, in Pennsylvania, a state holiday <laughs> called hunting season begins. You're not going to catch any hunter, sit down at the breakfast table, eat some biscuits and gravy and just load up with the food early in the morning then say, Mabel, Mabel, go over there and open up the front door. I'm expecting a buck. (laughs) He, uh, He knows where I am. He'll be here shortly past the gravy. No, you you gotta hunt, you gotta pursue. So here's what he said the people that go to the mesa to the table will go out with plenteous and, and, and an abundance of, of graciousness and kindness. They will they will go with favor and they will go out and find people who need to be brought to the table. They will hunt them down, they will pursue them and bring them to the table. This table that has contentment. This table that has intimacy. This table that has an abundance. It is sustainable because he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will stay at this table that I've been invited to because there's always enough room. It's always been God's intention. With those who are his representation on the earth... That this is sustainable, he comes to abram and says abram i 'm going to make a great nation out of you for this purpose, not because just because I love you and I know it'll give you it 'll give you such satisfaction knowing that you have an heir, you have a son, but i 'm going to do this because i 'm going to bless the world through you that as we connect in a covenant relationship, in, in a love agreement, I'm going to use you as the vehicle upon which I'm going to come and heal a busted up world. And Abraham said, ah, let's do that. Let's go for it. And so God marks him. Because if he's going to do this, He his, his exclusive person, exclusive representation on the earth and He's marked. And the scripture describes that marking. Genesis 17, verse 12 says this. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to the members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. You will carry this mark if you're in covenant relationship with me, and it will be sustainable because it will go from generation to generation. This is not one of those deals where you have an emotional experience with God on a Sunday in a church service, and you say, Oh, you've got my life, and then in two weeks, it's not sustainable. It's not like a henna tattoo that you, you wear for a couple of weeks, and then it washes off. Then this is in you. This is You're marked. This is a life change moment. It'll go from generation to generation. And he said, this is an everlasting mark. The base word of everlasting is vanishing point. It means you may not see it as it extends out, but it'll go beyond your view and keep going and going and going till it vanishes from you, but it just keeps going. So here's what it means. The the males of the, the Hebrew nation had been marked. Now, as God takes them into parts of the world that don't know God and, in fact, offend him, they're going to take God's presence and his healing power into those lands and change the world in that spot. And here's the order from God. When you do that, do not marry the women of the nations where you go. Because when you marry those women, you also marry their gods. And you will violate the intimacy that you have with me. And here's the problem. We have this covenant relationship for two reasons. Number one, because I want to be intimate with you. I created you to be with me. And secondly, because we're connected together, I will love other people through you and I will change the world through you. But if you disconnect with me, I can't do anything with the world. You're my marked body. So so practically, so you'll understand that if that happened, if they took a, a woman who was not of their faith, someone who worshipped other gods and they wanted to be intimate and they stripped down to be intimate, he was marked. She saw the mark, say, hey, you're marked. And he would have to admit, yeah, because because I made a promise to God, my creator. And my promise was that I would always obey him and always worship him. And hopefully at that moment he would say, I I can't do this. I can't because I'm marked. Generations later, Paul, the apostle, would tell us that when Jesus Christ came, he had fulfilled the promise that God had made through Israel, that the world would be blessed and a Messiah arrives, this God in flesh on this earth. And Paul said that this one who comes, this Messiah, who changes the world, who heals it, Is the head of what is called the body. And Paul describes the body. He said it's those who believe in him. They are the church. And please understand that when you are his body, God's body on earth is always clearly marked. We are marked. How are we marked? Paul describes that in Colossians, the second chapter, the ninth verse. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical appearance or procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away of your sinful nature. For when you were buried with Christ, you, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. How many of you have put your faith in Jesus and been baptized? Okay, so here's the deal. You've got to know this. That when you said, Jesus, I put my faith in you, and you were baptized, Paul the Apostle said that when Jesus was immersed in his grave and Satan, who ruled with death, brought death to Jesus... The payment for sin had been made. So when you're baptized, you are dying with God and therefore your sin has been paid for and Satan has done everything to you that he possibly could do and he's exhausted his power because his greatest power is death and you have lived through that because Jesus died for you. And when you were buried and baptized, he said, I cut away that old sinful nature of yours and I raised you up and marked you So that now you are marked as God's body on this earth to do what God wants to do. And what does God want to do? Well, when Jesus showed up, he made this great statement. He said, I am the good shepherd. And they said, Ezekiel 34. There's a description there of what the shepherd would be when he showed up. And Jesus is a fulfillment of that. And if Jesus said, this is what I do, he says, this is then what my body does, and here's what the body will do. And he describes it in Ezekiel 34, verse 16. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. You see, you strip the church, and you get the church naked, that is what you see. That is the mark. Find a church that does that and you find a church marked by God. So how did our body do this week? See, we can't say, we can't say, well, the worship was just so great and it was, well, that's not, that's not the mark. We, we took a collection and we got, to, well, that's kind of the mark, but it's not really the mark. He said the mark would be this, that you would leave the table. And you would go out and find those who have wandered away from the table and those who have been forced away by religion, and you would get them and you would bring them back, and and you would seat them at the table, and then you would take a healing wrap and you would place it upon literally what the Scripture says, their crushedness, their their busted-up lives to bring them healing. And then he said, you would strengthen them, because at the table, the body will strengthen the weak. The word weak is an interesting word. It, it means actually to be worn down, to be rubbed so much that it's just not much left. And it's more than just being, oh, you know, I'll be a baby, you're, you're worn out, big deal. No, this actually means you're so worn that, that you give out a travail, like, like, a, like a woman crying in travail, that, that painful cry, because there is the cry of one who is wounded. So, you go out and you find that one who has been, been rubbed down in life, who has, has been, been worn down, and you bring them to the table, and they sit at the table, and you sit next to them, because here's what strengthen means. Strengthen means that I connect myself to someone who's worn, someone who is weak, someone who is broken, and my very presence next to them interjects into their lives my own vitality and my courage. My courage and my vitality by being at this table with Jesus now courses into them until the time is that they're strong enough that they go out and do the same thing. Because this is an open table. And there's room for everybody. So we come here. We eat. We heal. We strengthen that strengthening is a process and the shepherd describes it. Ezekiel 34, 34, verse 27. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke. Would you circle bars of their yoke? And rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. Circle the word hands. They will no longer be plundered by the nations. nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety. Circle safety and no one will make them afraid. Circle the word afraid. I'll provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land, or bear the scorn, and circle the, the, the word scorn, the scorn of the nations. So somebody sent me these pictures I'm about to show you this week, and, and it's going to be one of those, uh, one of those, those ah moments. It's, gonna, it's really cute, and, and, and it's entitled... This is what stuff looks like. So here we go. This is what tired looks like. See, I told you. Actually, this is what sorry looks like. I'm sorry. I said sorry. Wrong. Sorry. That's sorry. That's tired. There we go. That's what tired looks like. Uh, This is what bad spelling looks like. This is what love looks like. (laughs) This is what courage looks like. (laughs) This is what good grief looks like. This is what a helping hand looks like. Isn't that cute? Just so ah cute. Just you go ah again, it's not so good. Ah. It's so cute. Well, here's the problem with life. That's not life. We as a staff have been dealing with people in these last weeks that are going through some horrific crises. And it's not cute. And we've got to be careful that we don't make this table, the church just a cute place. Because for that matter, then to get there, you, you have to be a cute person, and you have to have cute problems. and you have to fit our cute schedule. There's a danger that we think that everything should just be, should be just prim and proper when we talk about the church. But, but when you talk about rescue, rescue is not cute. When I was a lot younger and, and my dad was running church camps in western New York in the early 1960s, Everything in this camp, because you've got to understand that it was a kind of a holiness Pentecostal thing going on there, so everything was appropriate, and what they wore was appropriate. And so the women would have to wear things where all the skin was basically covered in the hot, humid, humidity of July. And so everything was appropriate. Everybody wore. Guys would even wear ties during the day. And and then obviously there was no big swimming at the lake. You can't do that. That Jesus could come, and that would ruin everything. So, you you can't do that. So one night we're in the tabernacle, which is the, the the big barn type thing with the the sawdust floors and the and the wooden benches. Because the more sawdust you had, and the more wooden benches you had, and the more rickety they were, the more holy you were at that moment. And they were all there. They were appropriate. They were dressed the way they're supposed to be dressed. And even guys were wearing ties on a hot hot July night. And 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 so. I'm, I'm, I'm in the bench with my dad and I got my head lay, laying down because the, the music's over and the preaching started and so everybody knows that when the preaching starts you go to sleep. So I'm laying down there and near in the middle of the sermon and a voice in the back of the tabernacle, now we're talking like a seven or 800 people in this tabernacle, and, and this voice interrupts the preacher and says this, a boat has capsized in the lake and people are drowning. Now, just so happened my dad was also the lifeguard. He flew out of the bench, which means that I flew with him because my head was in his lap. I landed on my feet and he took off in a dead run out to the back of that tabernacle. And I'm going to tell you all appropriateness just went out the window. He is running down toward the beach, and his shoes come flying off, his socks come flying off, his shirt gets ripped off, and he hits the water at a dead run. Those people were rescued. And there was nothing cute about that rescue. In fact, there's nothing convenient about a rescue. And there's nothing easy about a rescue. God forbid that cuteness would keep us from bringing someone to rescue. So Pam and I have a friend who needs rescue. Within the last year, she has gone through the most horrific abuse that most anybody could go through. She is tied at this moment to her abuse. The scripture we just read said that the shepherd would come and untie the person from the bars of the yoke that they're carrying, and she is tied to a bar. It is a picture of this bar, and you're tied over it as as someone who's been taken as prisoner. And that word yoke actually has at its root the word abuse. She is tied to her abuse and can't get free. You say, well, bring her to the table because at the table, they're at the table, people get healed at the table. Everything's cool, but that's the problem. In this process, she doesn't have a cute problem. She is really at rough, raw edges, and when she talks to people, she doesn't give them the words they want to hear to get invited to the table. When they say, you've got to have faith, she says, well, I don't. And they go, oh, you, you can't come to the table because you would mess it up for everybody else because it's, it's too rough, it's too raw, it's too edgy. Last week she sent this email to us and I'm going to have permission from her to read it to you. We're going to call her Julie. It's not her real name, but the words are true. And she has this friend we're going to call Dara. Not her real name, but she's real. Julie says, "These past three to four weeks have really been a sweet time with me and the Lord. For the first time in a long time, I'm recognizing my desire and longing for God. It has continued to be difficult to engage in any type of Christian community. I have learned over and over again through this time that Christian community is such a dangerous place to be when your life falls apart. There seems to be two unwritten rules that exist. The first is being that, that mourning has a time limit. And secondly, there is a Christian way to mourn that it's acceptable to struggle, but only if we season this with hope. The more I've talked through issues of the church with Dara, the more I've realized how messed up the Western church is. People feel like they're either, that they either have to be victorious or acceptably broken. The victorious people are annoyingly constantly proclaiming how much they love God and will follow him wherever he leads. And usually this is because the blessings in their lives are abundant or we struggle through hard times convincing everyone and ourselves that we're doing a lot better than we are. It just seems like we feel the need to be more proper than actually real. Or, in other words, more appropriate than actually alive. There are some times when I so badly want to give up and put on a smile and go back to pretending and pleasing, saying, Yes, this has been a hard season, but God is good and I'm trusting Him and things are going to get much better. But I'm learning to care about myself enough to not take that route. I'm going to continue to break the norms in the Christian community. I'm going to be honest with myself and my brokenness, admitting who I am rather than pretending what I think I should be or I should act. I admit I, I do this hoping but sometimes feel unsure that if I continue to enter my dark nights and refuse to pretend that I see light when really I don't at all, that eventually I will see the plan of God unfold in my life. I wish I trusted that more, but I have hope at least enough to press on. What an indictment. Can we actually have a spot where there's no room? That the table is not open? To help her, I've come to this conclusion to help her to get to the table, we've got to understand her pain. And to do that, we must outlive her abuse. I think that's what God did when He came to this earth in flesh. And they said of Jesus, He is a high priest because He felt our pain. He understands it. The table was open. Not only did He feel it, but but He walked through it. He helped outlive it for them. So the day came that He said on the cross, "It is finished." Meaning, help here. I've, I've I've lived this with you. We have this thing in the in the church that we say where two or three gather together in his name, God is there and that's scripture and where two or three agree on touching any one thing, it shall be done. And we've just, we've taken that and morphed it into if you've got a prayer need, two or three of us will pray for you and we're done. No, 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 no. Agreeing on any one thing means beginning to feel their pain and helping them walk till they are healed so that you outlive the abuse. You outlive the pain. One of the signs at this table is marked by God? Is our unwillingness to leave someone out there and not get them in here? When our kids were in high school, for years, it was a regular thing that they would bring friends home and, and then they would say, hey, we're all here and we're hungry. So we'd order pizza and Pam would make some kind of, of dip for chips and, and whatever else she would make and then she'd say, it's ready and then they were like locusts. They would just kind of move in. And you wouldn't even see the food. And then they would back off and all you would find would be the skeleton of whatever was there. And then it was a mixed group and the guys had friends there. The girls would leave and, and, and the guys would be hanging out and we'd go to bed. And the next morning we'd get up and we would never know how many people would be in our house. They'd be on the couches. They'd be on the floor. they, they, they Wherever you could put them, they're, they're there. Because the table was always open. The table tells us that we must be open 24 7. That scripture we read said, They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. It means that the community is designed to be a refuge, especially for those people who are terrorized. Come sit and find peace right here, right now. See, I've told you about him. His name is Mel, he lives in Boise, Idaho. Mel's table is pretty big and it's way open. So a guy calls Mel and Mel answers the phone and the guy says, is this Mel? And Mel says, yes, this is. And the guy says, I need help. And Mel said, where are you? He said, I'm I'm down here at this exit. He said, I'll be right there to get you. And the guy says, you don't even know what I need and who I am. And Mel said, it doesn't matter because you need me. I'll be there. And he does. Because Mel's tables open 24-7. That is the mark of this table. I found it interesting that, that several weeks ago we had a friend of this church sit up here and tell you about his issues and his battle coming through sexual addiction. And I know some of you sitting in this place were shocked at this transparency. But that's because this is a safe place. That at this table, we can get rid of shame. In fact, that's what, that's what the shepherd said He said that that I will remove their scorn. That's their shame. And I have found that shame can only be released when value is returned. So at this table, we must express value. It's what Jesus does when he he touches a leper. He gives value. It's what Jesus does when he forgives the woman with with the slutty lifestyle. It's what Jesus does when, when he befriends someone who everybody else hates. He says, my table is open. Come sit here and I'll take away your shame. I met a guy several years back. I was with my friends and one of our friends had met this guy who happened to be the leader of a nonprofit agency that is world-renowned. The problem was that he was misusing funds and he was actually setting up apartments for young ladies to live there so that he could have sexual experiences with them when he'd come through the city, all over the nation, and he got he got caught. And so everybody scattered from him and he found himself isolated, except my friend went to him and others came to him and said, hey, we're with you, we'll walk walk through this. And so this guy has gone to trial, he's about to be sentenced, and we meet him at a table. We're sitting down at a table to have fellowship and with Jesus as the centerpiece. And our friend brings him in and, and seats him down with us and we eat together. And our friend introduces this guy to us by saying, I want to introduce you to my friend. I simply want to tell you that at this table, if you want to give me value, then invite me to the table and call me your friend. It will change my life. So what keeps you from God's table? What keeps you from, from this table right here? Could it be, as as this, the, the shepherd described, that, that hand that snatches you, that, that hand that's grabbed hold of you, that's pulling you back so that you can't get to this table of contentment and intimacy and restoration? Is it that? Because that word hand actually means the power and the direction is held in that hand. So it tells you who you are and what you will do and when you will do it and it's killing you so that you're enslaved. But yet, we stand before you today and we say to you, the table is open, come, because we are rescuers. And that word rescue simply means that, that we snatch you from that. We protect you and defend you. We help you escape. And here's, here's the most incredible part of that word. It has within it the essence of this. You do all that, And it it means with no failure. It gets done. That when we invite you to be rescued, we're saying to you, we will walk with you and we will stay with you until it is accomplished. We won't give up. So you don't give up. We're expecting you. We are looking for you. Don't give up. So... Julie sent this email, and she's having a tough time with the organized church because she can't get to the table. Because when she starts to tell them how, they, how she feels, they, they're so uncomfortable, they move away. They, they won't let her there. But she's finding health and help in the organism called the church. Because there's this friend, Dara, who's a believer in Jesus, that she gets with at least three times a week. And here's what happens, because Dara's table is open. Julie says, I really can't tell you how thankful I am for Dara and my time with her. I have learned that in the church and my community as I knew it, my brokenness is somewhat disdained, and so therefore I don't feel safe to be real and share, and the power of God is not felt. But with Dara and my time there at her table, she invites my brokenness and receives it with grace. And I have never felt the gospel, the good news of Jesus, become so alive with hope. See, I want to invite you to a table. I want you to bring your brokenness and we will receive it with grace. And you will discover Jesus who will give you incredible hope. Because that's what the shepherd does. And therefore, that's what his body does. And that's what his love provides. So I think this table has a theme song. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I think it has a theme song. You know, the the old series uh, that's in reruns now, Friends, has a theme song where... You know what it is? You know the phrase? I'll be there for you. And then the old Cheers theme song, where everybody knows your name. Well, we, we've got a, we got a song here, and I, I, wanna, I want us to sing this this morning, and then we're going to end with me coming back and giving you a benediction. But it is a song of this table. It is a song of invitation for brokenness and it's a song of those who are already at the table that say, we'll take this out and we'll go out and we will find those. We will hunt them down. We will, we will pursue them and bring that grace to them. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. And that's not your cue to leave because I want to give you a benediction. And so I'm going to invite... Jenny and the band, the worship team, now to lead us. And would you make this your theme song for this table? marked to host this table. And at this table you will find joy, you will find laughter, you will find contentment, you will find peace. It's what his body loves to do. And what his body is free to do when it strips away all those things that repel and marginalize others. And that's why we welcome you to this table. The good news is this. You are on the guest list. Now, would you look to the video screens, and that's your benediction for this morning.
2: Go now in the joy of knowing that you have been included. Included at this table, included as his table, included in our common life, included in the life of God, in the life of the triune God, in the life shared by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
3: Let's sing, sing, let's sing for joy, for joy. Joy for joy.
2: Go in the joy of knowing that you have been included in the inner life of a God who is love. Go find joy in telling others that they too are included.
3: May God be gracious to us, make His face shine down. May God be gracious to us, and make His ways known. Let's sing. Let's sing, let's sing.
2: Go find joy in bringing all God's people to his table. Go find joy joy in telling others that they too are included. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. You are included.
3: May God be gracious to us. Make his face shine.